Well, this afternoon I'm still on that uh, making of graven images. I think that was the last one in that 40th chapter that was looked into about making grave images and they becoming an idol unto us. And we, as the people of Babylon did, we live in the land of images, graven images. We live in the land of idolatry. I think idolatry is worse in this nation than anywhere else in the world. I would suppose above all nations, we are, we would be the biggest idolatrous, idolatrous that there would be. Uh, and a lot of things that we make our gods, and that that that's what a graven image is. The thing that you start to pay a t- more attention to than God, eventually becomes your god or your idol. That's what you focus. It begins to take over the time and the worship or the praise or, or whatever God would have in your life. However, it inches it out. God is no longer the top priority in your life. And you may not say it is, especially with the Laodiceans, and I'll be talking about the Laodiceans upon a few other things. But it's, I think we all here in this nation has this thing about building bigger bonds. Everything is never, is nothing is never enough. And that's because it's a very materialistic nation. As a matter of fact, a glory in being capitalist. Uh, capitalism is built on capitalism uh, we serve God we can't serve God and mamma that's impossible to do and that's what the scripture tells us it's impossible to serve God and mamma so first we worship at the altar of materialism as I said in this nation which feeds our need to build our egos through the acquisition of more stuff our homes are filled with all manner of possessions, uh, military might, uh, the security that we have in our military, the security in our finances, everything, all of these things are similar to what the Israelites had, the worldliness that the Israelites embraced. It was like the household gods of the household idols. In other words, these are the miniature gods. These are the ones that they say don't come before God, but with their mouth they honor him. But their heart, their heart are on those material possessions and on those. They have made those images. Those has become idols. And we know behind every idol there's a demon. There's demonic possessions or whatever. That's part of our kernel, our human nature. It's this insatiable desire for more. It's always more. As the Bible says, the eye is never satisfied with seeing. It's part of what humanity of being carnal is, and that's the nature. That's what we have to put to death. That's the struggle that's part of we have as humanity. He had placed eternity in our hearts, but the Spirit, He births us into the Spirit, into being born again or regeneration, 
And it has to overcome our carnal desires. That's why he says that we would overcome because there's a mortification. In other words, it's a putting to death of those desires. It's choosing. It's a voluntary choice. Now here in where we can say, well, we choose God. You start choosing to put God before these other things and that's the problem is that we're not putting God before those things even though outwardly or intellectually we're saying well no we couldn't be worshiping an image that's not an Im- that's not an idol that's not our God or whatever but our actions betray us uh, uh, the better and newer stuff is nothing more than covetousness having all this newer stuff and unsaturable desire you know after having a computer a while a telephone a car or whatever you want it new but nothing is ever satisfying you you know you don't want to fix up the old car or either the uh, the paradox about that the opposite extreme is that you become fixated on that old car in other words that becomes an idol. That can become an idol to you also. We have to get things to where we're using the world, but not abusing the world, and that the world doesn't consume us. It's, we have to get the mentality that Job had, where he says, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, God actually gives us all things and we see who has given us power to get well. But once we place those things before God, and whether it could be people, it could be just about anything you can make into an idol of have a, a be a graven image to you and your actions, that which you serve is what you worship and you serve those things and not God. The Tenth Commandment tells us not to fall victim to coveting. Uh, and covetousness is one of the commandments there. And that's why he says don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet nothing that your neighbor has because that's what David did. He looked at Bathsheba. And that's where covetousness comes in. That, that That's a portal that's accessible to the human mind. That's why when Christ says it's better to be enter into heaven with one eye instead of let the whole body, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, put your eye out. Now, he didn't mean figurative, you know, literally or anything, but it was just an analogy about some parts of your body are desires and something that's insatiable because, like I said, you could have insatiable lust for food. It becomes gluttony. And you love it more than doing anything else. You know that? That's why they call some food. They say, well, that's comfort food. If you're feeling bad or you're feeling a certain thing, you get a big bowl of ice cream. Or you get something that you love or something that takes your mind off, something that satisfies you in place of anything else. And maybe the comfort that you should grab would be singing a psalm or a hymn or praying to God. Of meditating on God's word or whatever. Don't let anything else replace something in your life that God that place God should take. And don't go to the opposite extreme. All these have 
is paradoxical in a way that, in other words, the opposite could be true, that if we take it to the access, and that is with music also, you know, with music, it's good to sing psalms and hymns to God, but maybe the lyrics could get out of hand. Maybe what just the thing that you, the, the beat of the tempo of the music, you know, because I tell people, you know, they have blues, they have rhythm and blues, they have rock, they have uh, country western music, they have all types of genre of music, and I'm not saying that music is evil, but if it doesn't promote whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever causes you to think on things in the vein of Jesus Christ, that that thought it had to be bring into the captivity obedience of Jesus Christ. In other words, it has to line up with the thinking of Jesus Christ, what would be in the mind of Christ. Christ wouldn't think lustful thoughts. That's why he says, if you look at a woman to lust after, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So it's the action. It's what our nature is, and that's why Joe said he had made agreement with his eyes that he wouldn't look upon a woman to lust after her, to, to, be, to, to want her in that shape or fashion. But it takes the spirit to do that. It takes the spirit to help us to embrace and do that. So I said we're not becoming legalists or whatever, and that's part of what I need to be teaching when I teach on the Sabbath commandment because the Jews took the Sabbath after they had been led into captivity about breaking the Sabbath. They take they took that same Sabbath and made it burdensome to the people. And they started using it in a way that the Bible hadn't prescribed to use it. That's why I tell y'all about the Sabbath. It's tricky and I try to teach on it some things or some phases of it over a period of time. But it's not anything in the Bible that specifically tell you or forbid what you should be doing on the Sabbath that we should become a legalist in doing and objectify the Sabbath and say well no you can't you can't do this on a Sabbath because if we are under the liberty of Christ Jesus and that's why when Christ came he did some particular acts on the Sabbath or whatever not in violating the Sabbath to show you that you can violate the Sabbath was showing you that Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Um, but that's, you know, if he said if your ox fall in, your, in the ditch, wouldn't you get it out the ditch or whatever? So we don't want to, as Paul said, he was afraid of the people because they observed days and times and all that. He gave the dietary laws or whatever, but in talking with Peter and talking in the New Testament, whatever, we see where he even removed the dietary law so that wouldn't be an obstacle to you that you would say eating certain foods would commend you to God. Food doesn't commend you to God. It was just to put a difference between his people and the people of the world. The dietary laws was put there, and that was the same was with circumcision and uncircumcision where he circumcised his people. But nowadays being circumcised doesn't profit you anything whether you circumcise or uncircumcise because the circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. It's the same way with the Sabbath. We've entered into his rest, but we hadn't ceased from our works. Christ ceased from his works. 
but the spirit do it yet work, but the Sabbath foreshadows something. So that weekly Sabbath that he established in the beginning in part of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath. That's very important, but we're not to idolize it. But we know that we nobody can keep the law perfectly or whatever, so we shouldn't put the Sabbath up to where we set all kinds of tests and obstacles about some handwriting of ordinance that we should obey this and you can't do this. Well, they go out on the Sabbath. They shouldn't be eating dinner at a restaurant on Sabbath or you shouldn't do this on Sabbath. We're, we're, we're protruding into making an idol uh, uh, out of that day. We're idolizing that day. We're making that day into something. There's no difference in the days, but that God did sanctify and make the Sabbath day uh, a sacred day, a holy day. It was a day for the Lord, and that's what we do. But that's the liberty that Christ gives us to enjoy the Sabbath. Exodus 20 and 17 says, God doesn't just want us want to reign on our buying sprees. He knows he will never be happy indulging our materialistic desires because it is Satan's trap to keep our focus on ourselves and not on God. So, you know, you could keep working to be working, and before long, you're working for stuff. You're not working for to achieve contentment because the Bible tells us to be contentment with such that we have, but that God does tell us to work. He had put man here to do work, and there's a purpose for him putting man here. So in carrying out our activity and everything, we know it's against its laws to be slothful, uh, to be indolent. We shouldn't be lazy or given to laziness and not working. He's less than an infield elder doesn't take care of his home or his household or whatever. Second, we worship at the altar of our pride and of our ego. This often takes the form of obsession with careers and jobs. You know, your job can become a graven image. That's the idol. That's where you worship. In other words, you go to work before you do anything else. Work comes before church. Now you didn't put work before worshiping of God. You're forsaking the assembling and together of yourselves because now work is consuming. Not that you shouldn't say, well, you just have to fire me. I can't work if I got to work this day. You, know, you need to work around that and get around that sometime, but you need to learn and ask God and pray to God that he give you some relief and satisfying that because all things are possible with Jesus Christ. So I don't think he would work. Sometimes we have self-inflicted wounds. We do it to ourselves. We pick up a second job knowing it's going to take us away from Sabbath day worship, uh, from uh Bible study or from prayer service or different times with the Lord and it's going to take us from forsaking assembly together of ourselves that's when we need to say well look, all these materialistic things I'm chasing after, am I going against the scripture that says oh no man for anything, in other words am I extending too much credit in other words getting in too much debt trying to acquire too many material things, you know. We have to learn sometimes to be with contentment and that our house is our home. In other words, that you don't hardly even enjoy the house that you have 
It's just a house. It's not a home. It's not a dwelling place. It's not a place where you and the family are raised. You have time for your kids and you have time for yourself and time to enjoy your house. Some people just use it as a changing place, a changing station. Whereas it's your houses of worship could become an image, a graven image, you know. Like I was telling you about the Crystal Cathedral, and people have building programs to keep on building larger churches, and they have some of these edifices that cost millions and millions of dollars or whatever, and there's always some building program, and you always have a dedicated funds to building and increasing in size and growing or whatever. You, you may be missing out on the big picture here. You, you may be trying to be a mega church of being larger than you should be, and it's not the quality of the teaching. In other words, your members are not learning to socialize and love one another in some of the smaller flocks of some of the people that have time for what God's actual purpose is. We're missing the being made in his image and his likeness because it's not good for man to be alone. So we shouldn't be striving, being competitive, comparing ourselves to others. We shouldn't be focused on the things of the world. That's why it says the love of the world and the acquisition of those things is what causes idolatry in our lives. Millions of men and increasingly more women spend 60 to 80 hours a week working even on the weekends and doing vacations, our laptops and things are humming. We're checking emails. We're on our phone and our minds are whirling thoughts of how to make our own business businesses and go in doing this and how can I be the next dot-com millionaire and how can I get rich doing these and the money to be made. And the thing is, you can't be unfound money and you will leave money here. Money should you shouldn't labor to be wealthy with the bread that doesn't satisfy. Money doesn't actually satisfy. It gives temporal pleasures, and that which moth eat and rust and corrode, and those world's richest men rotate up and down or whatever. So maybe you've got your focus off of God and gotten it unto money. You working for money, not money working for you, not money as a tool, a device that you use or something that you help to, to meet your needs or whatever. <clears throat> In the meantime, I, I think I heard Charles Barkley or somebody the other day they were saying that he was talking about uh, this new golf league was paying a lot of the people to get out of the PGA or whatever and join them or whatever. They was giving them uh, exorbitant amount of money and he was saying that he would kill a relative for millions of dollars you know that's a bad statement you know a man's life an individual's life is money is worth more than that individual's life what price can you put on a relative's life or someone's life but that's what we've came to that's what we've come to in this world in this nation <clears throat> In the meantime, our children are starving for attention and love. Maybe they're, they, they're not looking for all of the Air Jordans and all of the newest technology. Maybe just sitting down fishing with your kid. 
maybe just raising him and telling him about God and doing some of the things that does make family, that would make him in your image and likeness. Last week I was searching for a scripture about Adam in the garden, about Eve in the garden of Eden. And you remember that said God made man in his image and his likeness. And it seemed like that was a completed thought that that's what he had did or whatever. But I think it was man that came along and when he ate of the tree of the forbidden fruit is when he changed his perception of what was good and what was right. I don't think I have it with me this time or whatever, and I've gotten off on that tangent I said that I would get off on or whatever. But what man did was, I think I'm going to have to go and find that because uh, it's about Adam and what he did when he when he made uh, his child. With his, when, let me hold on just a second. Here. You know, what I was looking for is in Genesis, the fifth chapter. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. You remember, Adam is the corporate head of man. He's the fallen image of man. Now, God had made Adam in his image and his likeness, right? Right. But Adam failed. So in the third and fourth chapter, we see Adam had failed. But look at the fifth chapter. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that Adam... In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. In the likeness of God, he made man. It says, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their names Adam in the day when they were created. Now, you remember, God was making man in his image and his likeness. It seemed though it was a completed thought that he had made man in his image and likeness. But for some reason or another, we see that fallen man wasn't in his image and his likeness because Adam perverted what man was. Adam perverted man. Listen at this. Uh, the third verse, it says, And Adam lived in 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, and after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. That, that kind of makes me think, though, why did you say, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own image and likeness? In other words, that was a fallen image and likeness. It wasn't in the image and likeness of God. You see, because Adam was a fallen image. So that generation, it says, these are the generations of Adam. Remember, Adam was put outside of the garden. So his image and likeness, it was a generation where we know that Cain killed Abel. We know that he was banished from the presence of God. So he has started making maybe ways of, of getting back to God. Maybe that's where some of the perversion and worship and thing came in. Man was trying to fulfill that void that was left when he was placed out of the garden. 
that's when he started making things in his image and after his likeness. That's what we've been doing ever since. But now Jesus Christ comes and we say that Jesus Christ is what? The second of the other man. He's a spiritual man. He's another Adam. He's the new man. But he's making us in his image and in his likeness. Not in the likeness of Adam or whatever. That seed is destined for death. It's created in the image and likeness of man, which suffers deprivation. In other words, man is totally depraved. But those that are in Christ Jesus, this is material. We see that these are the ones that are circumcised and God's what? He's writing his law on their hearts. Those that are in Christ. That's why he sent the Spirit to lead them and guide them in all troops. So we understand what happened there is that that's where the fly is. That's the tangent that man goes off on and that he's made in the image and likeness of Adam. Uh, We fool ourselves into thinking we are doing it for them to give them a better life. But the truth is we're doing it for ourselves to increase our self-esteem by appearing more successful in the eyes of the world. Everything else now is world-oriented. You know, my child's a doctor. He's a lawyer. He has this position. My children are successful. You're really not. A lot of times we drive these children and push them, and that's why a lot of parents got them out there doing sports on the weekend. And yet they're they're trying to make that child into something that's special and important to them. That's a graven image they're making. They're not allowing God to shape that child. That child may not have it in his heart. You remember I was telling you about the guy that had became a dentist, uh, and he said that the dentistry was for his parents or whatever, but he enjoyed music. Sometimes the child goes off and pursues what God had called him to. A lot of times the parent pushes the child in the wrong direction. That's what Rachel was it Rebecca that's what Rebecca did with Isaac and Jacob that's why she never Esau I mean Jacob and Esau Isaac's wife Rebecca she was pushing God had already told her that he was going to be he was going to be blessed and that he was going to have the birthright and everything but she stole that birthright she helped him steal the birthright and steal the blessing well, the blessing, but not the birthright. You know what I mean? He sold it for the pottage or whatever. But see, we're continually pushing our agenda on our children, you know, on the other people and things, thinking this is the panacea. This weekend, or Friday or Thursday or something, they overturned Roe versus Wade, which is a good thing or whatever, but that's not the nucleus of the problem. The problem is fornication and adultery. The problem is premarital sex. The problem is inflation. The problem is all of these things that people chasing after a career or something and don't have time for a kid. The problem is out of wedlock sexual liaisons and casual sex and everything not preparing for children. The, the problem is ignorance and unawareness of the fertility and the capability of nature going on 
and man's propensity to be covetous and to be idolated and evil and wickedness. You can change all the laws and do what you want. That's not going to get you back in front of God. Only being born again and walking in his laws and his ways. If you look at the millennial reign, you'll see that good doesn't come to those that are not going up to the house of the Lord and learning the ways of God, going up to the house of God. People will be just like they are today, thinking they could do it without going to church, without doing it God's way. Man is continuing, and we look in Revelation where they could, were throwing their, their graven images and idols away or whatever. Man have always embraced his idols and household gods and things. Jacob's children, Rachel and all of them, still had the household gods when Jacob says, every man get rid of your household gods or whatever. When Joshua had crossed over to Jericho, when Joshua did all of his feats at the end of his journey, he was saying, choose you today to God that you could serve. He says he told the people to get rid of their idols and their gods. They still had plenty of gods. Household gods and idols and things. That's Man still has that in the church today. There are many a people holding on to those images and idols and household gods and things that they don't realize that these things blind you because behind these images behind all of this idolatry are demonic figures these are demons there's spiritual warfare going on there's principalities and powers going on so there's a lot that's going on that is a spiritual in nature all of our labors and accomplishment will be of no use to us after we die, nor will the admiration of the world, because these things have no eternal value. As Solomon put it, for a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone else who has not worked for it. All the, your parents, they can leave your home, automobiles, they can leave you all that stuff. A lot of us get rid of the stuff before our parents did good. The prize stuff that they had and labor for, we go and throw it away or sell it all. I, I remember a sermon uh, Reverend Leo Cyrus had made, We're No Better Than Our Fathers, and I bought a copy of it for me and my mother before she passed or whatever, and was listening at it about in the black communities in, in the mid-city here in Baton Rouge, of all these homes and things in that area where I live at, I was one of the ones who had did it. That was one of the reasons I moved back to my father's house. That these homes are paid for. Most of those homes in Mid-City are paid for or whatever. But we living out in Mayfair and other areas. I was staying in Mayfair, the full-bedroom house out there or whatever. Thinking to be somebody or having a status thing and leave those homes and things behind that our parents have had had labored and paid for. And that's what I moved back into his house or whatever. But we take those things for granted. They're too small. Well, remodel it. Uh, these other things because you staying in houses that some of us won't ever pay for or that we have to work two or three jobs to pay for. We're trying to get automobiles and then we get a new automobile that to satisfy the spouse. You get 
refrigerators or washers or dryers or cars or homes or whatever you get after a few months, she's not going to be satisfied with that. You're not going to be satisfied with that. The clothes, you're never, man has not been satisfied. Man is an idol factory. It, it's something that he worships, he craves other than God. So when we get connected with the purposes of God, we're no longer making these graven images of things that make us, gives us status or position or place in life. All we know is to know Christ Jesus. You've learned to be a base, you learn to be a bound. You've learned to be content with such that you have. When you start getting rid of self-ambition and ambition and self-centeredness, then you could help others. You can help those around you. You could have time to see the world or whatever. You could start redeeming the time. You left out of the world chasing the rat race. That's what graven images did to Israel, and they became worldly because... They wanted to be like all of the nations around them. That's what your children use when you're trying to rear them in a certain way. They say, well, Mommy, you're old daddy, you're old-fashioned. Well, I want to be like the rest of the kids. Stop trying to be like someone else. Have your own identity. God has made us all unique. He has made us just like he did Jesus Christ, and he loves us with that same love. So... When we're saying we want to be like Jesus, we want to be like Jesus showed us that God was. In other words, creating his image and his likeness. Not necessarily a physical resemblance of eye, hair, face, nose, and physical features or whatever. We all, man as a whole, when it says God made man in his image and likeness, that man is in, in God's image and likeness, but we saw no form or shape or anything when we when they heard God speaking on the mountain, they said, don't let God speak to us again. Let Moses or let man speak to us. So Jesus Christ came as a man and he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now he wasn't saying the features. He might have been saying the spirituality of it, what the nature of God is, the mind, the, the mindset, the thinking, all of this, what God's, the attributes God's trying to create in you is what, I am. I'm displaying that. That's what the Father is. You see the Father. God is invisible. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So to see God is to see Jesus Christ. And Paul, and they said in the book of Corinthians, we don't know man after the flesh, not even Jesus Christ. Now because he came and he said, I don't have a flesh and blood body like you suppose I have. It was a spiritual body he had. He says, touch me and see me. This is a, he was able to walk through walls and all these other things or whatever. So we're not seeing somebody's facial feature makes them, and that's going to be somebody running around here looking just like God. And so, man, that guy looked just like him. Well, no, that's where we get away from images. And if God, if Jesus come back in, catch you worshiping a man, you're going to have a problem. That's why he couldn't come through Islam or the Muslim religion because you can't worship a man. And that's what the Antichrist is. It's centering worship toward men. So we carry other people's jerseys around, naming rights and everything. We're trying to be like the next American idol, the next superstar quarterback, the next 
uh, Seth uh, Curry or whatever, all of these things. We're trying to be like somebody else instead of being what God made us to be. It, we have to start accepting ourselves for what God made us, and we worship no man. That shouldn't be a man on earth that you look up to as to say, worshiping that man. With your father, with my dad and everything, I didn't worship my dad nor my stepdad. But certain things, characteristics, and attributes he had, I picked them up and my mother was glad that I displayed some of those. But the reason you can't worship man and nobody can worship man is because there are deadly things that my father and stepfather had that my mother definitely glad I didn't pick up. That characteristics my mother and father had that, man, you have to de defer from your parents and things right here. This is where you have to be not like your parents or whatever. You have to not because your parents didn't listen either. Even though, like, I'm going back teaching my children to listen now or whatever, we have to be careful because we were once disobedient ourselves that same way that they walked, we walked. Because, like I said, man is an idol factory. Ezekiel 20 and 18. It says, But I say unto their children in the wilderness, Walk ye not in the statutes of your fathers, neither observe their judgment, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign between me and you that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. So when they got away from the Sabbath worship, when they got away from worshiping the way God had told them to worship, that's just like they didn't pick up the Catholic, the Lord's Day, changing the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday because of man's philosophy. And, and the Bible tells us to beware of the philosophy of men. They said, well, Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday, therefore that's the Lord's day. He wasn't resurrected on a Sunday. It goes against all scripture teaching of he was in the grave three days and three nights and that the resurrection was on the Sabbath. But they tried to do that to bring in a good Friday crucifixion which is, doesn't add up or whatever, but that's through man's philosophy. And that's why Jesus said, through your traditions, when he was talking about Corban, he says, the scripture says, honor your father and mother. It says, but through your tradition, you made void the commandments of God. That's what they were doing with the Sabbath when Jesus was here. They were trying to tell him how to honor the Sabbath, and he was the one who made the Sabbath. He created all things. He made all things. Well, how you explain to the owner the owner's manual? In verse 18, God speaks about not walking in the statutes of your fathers and their judgment, which means in this context, do not follow the choices of your parents. He makes this statement in relation to the Sabbath commandment to the second generation of those who came out of Egypt. The whole first generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness so as Ezekiel 20th opened. He is speaking to that generation by verse 18. The context has shifted to the generation which went into the land and he warns them against making the same bad choices as the previous generation. Sometimes like I say, don't do like your parents did. Don't do like your brothers and sisters did. We have the word of God. We have praying to him. We have studying his word to keep us from introducing 
error into the scriptures. That's that was one of the steepest things about idolatry, a thing that's taught in the New Testament age. False prophets and false teachers became the graven image. Men made other men esteem in their sight, just like during the times of Noah when God destroyed the world. It says there were men of renown. In other words, well known. So a lot of us don't want to go against the mega preachers and mega teachers nowadays. But that those are mostly part of the apost apostate church, the one that are teaching us errors. Those are our graven images. We've made them. Those are the men of sin. Those are the Judas goats that are leading us astray. We're being led away by a seducing spirits, doctrines of demons and devils. And that's the idolatry that's bred in following the scriptures if we don't have a discerning of scripture and an understanding of scriptures where that the famine is of hearing the word of God. In other words, hearing it exposited correctly to us. No other people are more influential to children than their parents. So he tells them to avoid making the same unsound judgments, particularly, particularly in regarding the Sabbath breaking that so-called influential people have made in the past. He also tells them not to follow their idols. Why? Behold, all souls are mine, he says, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins it shall die. But they hadn't been teaching that. They teach of purgatory, they teach of hell and all these things. And then when you die, you're sitting up in heaven looking down from heaven with God up on your loved ones and this. No, you're dead. You're in the grave. Death means to die. You may be sleeping with Jesus according to the New Testament analogy, the way we look at it in the New Testament, it is asleep with Jesus, but we have eternal life. But it's not a wokeness and looking down. What happens to the people that look down and see their children getting murdered and slaughtered? Do they look away or whatever? Do they know how God's going in those things? No, he's going to bring the dead, the, those that are sleeping in Christ, back with him. In other words, they go rise first, those that are asleep. It didn't say that those that are coming by did it. Those are the angels that return with him up on that. When they talk about the rapture, those that he's talking when those that raise the corruptible, incorruptible, that's at the end when he's delivered up the last enemy, and that last enemy would be death, and it would be no more dying. But by teaching a soul that's burning in hell and in all these things, you're saying that you have a mortal soul. Whereas God told Adam, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. All souls are mine, and it says the soul that sin shall die. Only Jesus has eternal life, and he's the only giver of eternal life. God holds us individually responsible. Just because influential people like parents or ministers made judgments in the past on how to keep the Sabbath does not mean that they were correct. It might have been during that time or whatever. That's the way it was generated during that time. But more light has been shed on the scriptures 
revelation and knowledge has did what? Has increased. He told us revelation and knowledge would increase. But we want to be locked up back in those days. We want to go be baptizing people for the dead. Well, no, we can't do those things. They've lived their time and what was happening, happening, but God is working these things out. He's been working it in the beginning because he never stopped. He says, let us make man in our image. That was Elohim. That was the family. That was the counsel of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ was there at the beginning. But of course the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost was there because when he breathed upon the earth, he brooded over it, and the Spirit brought forth the oceans and everything teeming with life. It's a work of the Spirit. Each one has their work to do. Jesus came and he said, I've completed the work that you sent me to do. It is finished. I've done what you told me to do. To show that his work was finished and that he had entered into his rest. He said, sit thou. This is the He said, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thine footstool. So he's sitting in a position of authority and power ruling and reigning. He says, I've been given all rule and all reign. It's the Spirit. He says, I'm going to send the Spirit back to you. That's why we pray to continually be continually being filled with the Spirit. It's going to guide us and lead us into all truth. It's making us spiritual. That's the circumcision there. So it draws away from idols, and that's why First John says, my little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from anything that calls you to worship. Uh, make an idol a graven image unto yourself. Each person is personally responsible to God to follow his laws as God gave them. With fear and trembling work out your own salvation. That's why you need to be praying to God. That's why you need to be studying God's word. That's why you need to be a doer of God's word. And he says he's going to be in you. He, in other words, him and the Father comes in and dwell with you. And the Spirit, those that are led by the Spirit of God, are the sons of God. The more you obedient to that Spirit, the more you are like Jesus Christ. The more you suffer for listening at that Spirit, the world's going to persecute and hate, hate you. But he was made strong through suffering. He told Paul, my weakness, your weakness, that's what he can work is through your weakness. You seeing your inability to do something. You seeing that you're not able to do this. The discerning of the Lord's body is that I need you. I, I'm not able to. Without you, I can't do anything. I'm fully dependent upon you. So nothing comes before you. I give you the preeminence in my life. Just because we saw a minister say or do something regarding Sabbath keeping does not necessarily mean he was. Maybe it was, maybe it was not. We must judge the situation and come to our own conclusion. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was coming to his own conclusion. So he says, be ye healed. He told the paralytic man to stretch out his arm to whether he was breaking God's law, the Pharisees, held him guilty and called him Beelzebub 
But these people thought he was the man of God. He thought he was the son of God doing all these things. See, we are afraid to be led by the Spirit of God. We don't have enough faith to stand up on our own listening and following God. Because your relatives, your spouse, your friends, your children, your parents, somebody tells you something. When are you going to put on Christ and pull off the old man listening at other people? Start listening and hearing the Spirit. Be a doer of the Spirit. Seek the Spirit in your life, not others. You're not seeking others. You're seeking unto the Spirit of God. We will not accept the justification that we were just following what our parents or ministers did. If they did what was right, fine. But if they did what was wrong, then we must have the character to keep it correctly despite what they taught, despite what they taught. That's what my mother consistently hammered into me. Son, you reach for the moon. No matter what I say or do or whatever, you reach for the moon. My mother was a great influence on me, but my mother was my mother. And just like they're talking about the Virgin Mary or whatever, that was Jesus' mother. But what did Jesus' mother say? Whatever he say do, do it. Whatever Jesus say do, do it. Don't listen to that mother. Use this that Jesus Christ. Now, if she, what she's saying lines up with Jesus Christ, then you're in conjunction. But that's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. So if I'm not telling you something Christ said, don't follow me. He says, even if an angel come from heaven preaching any other gospel, let him be accursed. If an angel come preaching another gospel, they, they will try to preach you another Jesus, and men will rise up from them on from among your own selves preaching and teaching things that they shouldn't preach or teach. That's the way that goes. Uh, distraction leads to idolatry. When we get distracted from something, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, the 7th through the 19th verse. There's no doubt that prosperity is good but unless one is sufficiently focused in the right direction and disciplined enough, it can also be a demanding master because of its power to distract one into idolatry. And that's what I was telling my wife the other night, that my daughter was being richly blessed by God or whatever, but she had to be careful at that time because sometimes Satan could come in and pour more blessings on top of you than you can hold or handle and, and if you're not seeing Satan in there you'll you'll be distracted and it'll cause you to be taken into idolatry. That's why in Proverbs Proverbs the thirtieth chapter the words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy of the man spake unto Ithiel. And it says, I'm going all the way down to verse five, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things I have required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? unless I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord in vain. Accuse not a servant to his master, lest he curse thee 
and thou be found guilty. With Ananias and Sapphira, we I'm, we thinking a lot of commentaries said that they were seeing Barnabas had sold his property and gave away the proceeds unto the church, uh, and that they was going to do likewise. But some kind of way or another, they say this might have been a device of Satan or whatever that got in there, that the proper property probably sold sold for five times or more of its value of what it should have been sold for. So when they gave to the apostles the amount and they said that that was their tithes and offerings, that was the property was sold for. And Peter says, why did you lie to the Holy Ghost or whatever? Well, they was expecting, say like if they was expecting a thousand dollars and everybody knew what that property should have been sold for about a thousand dollars or whatever. But this property owner knew who it was, maybe gave up five thousand. And they said, Oh man, all this money here. Well, we couldn't give the church a thousand or two thousand dollars, and they'll think that's a lot because we got more than we were expecting for it. But instead of giving the whole amount or the amount that they had promised, they lied and said, Well, this was the amount we got. And Peter says, you hadn't lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Ghost. See, so sometimes God can work in things to test you in certain areas. And that's why I say a job may offer you benefits. Of, they say they'll move you across the country to work here. But what it might take you from a God-fearing church, did you pray before you go move all the way across the country? Did you pray before you took that job? even though the job was making a lot of money or whatever, would it have taken you away from God? Sometimes these blessings in disguise are really curses in effect. That's what happened with Balaam. God had told him, well, if the men do come back and press upon you to go, then you could go, but you got to say what I say. But Balaam ain't even wait for the men to come back. He wouldn't join himself to them because of greed, covetousness money was his God. Money was his God. So we have to be careful with those things. Getting distracted leads into idolatry. We could be distracted away from the things in life and away from God working in our lives. Destruction of the self-image of Job's self-image. I don't have time to parse that out and go through the whole thing of that uh, but all of these things that come into our lives can take us away from God. Uh, uh, what does a man get for all the toil and ancient striving? Let me finish with Solomon here. Uh, this too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and ancient striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, his pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. That's Ecclesiastes 2nd chapter 21st to the 23rd verse uh, about vanity and vexation of spirit. Third, we idolize mankind through naturalism and the power of science. Finally and perhaps most destructively we worship at the altar of self-aggrandizement of the fulfillment of self to the exclusion of all others and their needs. The idol of self-pleasure. There we go. That's the last one this, this nation loves. 
self-pleasure, living for the weekend. Let's oppress the poor so that we can pay less, you know, that our taxes would be less. We would have more for the retirement. I told you Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders was coming up with this thing to extend Social Security solvency until 2075, which it should be solvency anyhow if the people wasn't stealing from it and removing the dedicated funds and self-centered and covetous people opting out of the system because of their covetousness, their idolatry, making of themselves graven images, their riches and wealth. That's what happened to those governmental systems that set out to create a social net for others. So not only are not we helping others and helping for the nation and helping our fellow man and helping some of our parents and things, uh, we it would raise the cost of living with Social Security some or whatever, but others hollering, oh, that's what can't do with the taxes. These are, it would be a tax on the wealthiest people in the nation. But that's one thing that man covets is his taxes and it's his money. Don't care how wealthy he is, he would rather be super wealthy enjoying vacations and self-pleasure and his children and grandchildren and everything else, but he would rather some people would have two things that can't be pulled or some elderly people having to split their medications or go without medications or whatever. Those graven images causes us not to see the demons of self-centeredness, of self-pleasure, of self-aggrandizement, of the fulfillment of the self to the exclusion of the all other needs of everybody else. This manifests itself in self-indulgence through alcohol, drugs, and food, self-addiction. And we've seen a lot of people talking about their rights and what their rights are during the pandemic or whatever. So you wouldn't suffer wearing a mask to protect yourself and others also. You know, the mask not only protected you, but it protected the others that could have caught what you had or could have had a compromised immune system. Well, like I say, we are a nation that builds graven images and idolatries without even thinking because that's our spirituality is such in a weak state because a lack of preaching and teaching God's word. The self-control we so desperately need is supporting in our insatiable desire to eat, drink, and medicate more and more. We resist any effort to get us to curb our appetites and we are determined to make ourselves the God of our lives. Bloomberg wanted to outlaw the super big gulp or whatever, you know, that 44 ounce or the 64 ounce or whatever. Man, you drink about a gallon of cold drink. Wouldn't that go past your diet and everything else? That really is so much or whatever. But let us end there or whatever because I have a lot more to add to this and we'll talk about it more Wednesday and then I'll preach on it on the Sabbath day. Heavenly Fathers would come before